0: This is Pride and Prejudice from The Economist Group, our look at some of the hot topics around the business case for LGBT inclusion. I'm Matthew Bishop, and today I'm talking with Amanda Simpson, who until recently was the Assistant Deputy Secretary of Defence in the United States, uh, which made her the highest-ranking ever uh, government official to be a transgender person. Um, We're going to talk about what it was like to be uh, a transgender person in America's Defence Department. Uh, We're going to talk about whether the progress that's been made around LGBT inclusion uh, in the American government over the past few years, and particularly in the military, is going to be able to survive the new Trump administration. Um, I'm going to start by asking Amanda about the recent backlash that seems to be going on around transgender issues, which has become symbolized by bathroom laws around America, which are designed to try and stop transgender people uh, going into use public bathrooms of their uh, current gender, maybe rather than the one that they were born with. Amanda, do you worry about this backlash against transgender people that's being expressed through the bathroom laws? Well, certainly there's
1: been a backlash. I, I mean, the bathroom issue is is a political issue. It is nothing more than that. It is being leveraged, uh, uh, just like um, same-sex marriage was leveraged a decade ago, to bring certain people to the polls, to uh, start a debate where there wasn't one before, to elicit response, uh, to bring people to the polls so that certain uh, factions could gain leadership, uh, and control in the government. Um, if you really were to sit down and talk to the, I believe, to the average American, and with a transgender person, say, you know what, you should be safe in the restroom. The restrooms are all about, you know, <laughs> voiding your bladder, uh, you know, emptying your bowels, washing your hands, and going about your business. It's not about anything else, and anything else that happens at the restrooms beyond those things should be inappropriate and illegal. But that doesn't mean you that people who whose genitalia behind a stall may not match the person's genitalia in the stall next to them. No one should know, and so no one should care. I, I think this is a um, it seems to be at least something that is unique and only an issue in the, in the, quote, the Puritan clause of the United States and not as much of an issue around the world.
0: And do you think it's going to go away as an issue or is it one that we're now going to see become more, uh, divisive?
1: Oh, I think it will, it will run its course, uh, like, like same-sex marriage. Uh, it got to a point where it, you know, was a big worry and now several years passed. uh, while some people are trying to keep that an issue, it's pretty much died off. And I think, uh, you know, with the use of restrooms, that will also die off. Uh, the, the scaremongering that existed for same sex marriage never, has not come to, to fruition. And the scaremongering over, um, you know, who is in a restroom has not come to fruition. The, the There have not been cases, um, as the opponents profess, of people going in the restrooms to accost women. You know, quite frankly, it's the transgender people who are in the restrooms that are being accosted. So, I think it's going to, unfortunately, reach a crescendo, but then afterwards, it will fade away. Um, It's not the the true issue.
0: So... You know the, the Department of Defense where you served uh, you know the military, I think over the years the American military, widely regarded rightly as the best in the world, has had a lot of uh, challenges around every aspect of, of gender and, and and sexual sexuality and so forth ranging from you know the role of women in combat through to don't ask, don't tell and so forth. Do you feel that um, there is now a, a sort of broad acceptance of the case for LGBT inclusion? you know, that's deeply rooted in in the American military?
1: It's an interesting question because while it may not be documented, there have been LGBT people who have served in the United States military for the history of the United States military. And, you know, I think it was uh, Senator Goldwater who made a speech on the floor of the U.S. Senate uh, before his Uh, at the end of his terms that said, you know, it should not really matter if the person in the foxhole next to you is straight. The only matters is whether or not they can shoot straight. (laughs) Paraphrased. Uh, And I think that's really what it comes down to in the military. There have been some attempts uh, by, I won't say, certain individuals, certain factions, to make the military in their image. And quite frankly, you know, when you have two million people in uniform, you're going to have incredible diversity. And you need to accept that. And, and for you to make the strongest fighting force the world has ever seen, well, quite frankly, you have to be able to, you're, you're going to bond with the people next to you. And we've seen over the course of the last, you know, decades, the, you know, integration of African Americans into the military service. And quite frankly, you know, that was what was necessary, and we have a much stronger military force. Over the last decade, we've seen the integration of, of women into combat roles, right? And it has actually strengthened the ability of the military to do their job. Um, for those who haven't read it, please read the book Ashley's War. It talks about the first women uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan who were serving with special operations. Um, it's, it's an amazing story. And you know, And then we're seeing of the ability for people to serve openly, regardless of their sexual orientation. And it has been a complete non-issue in the five and a half years since that became the policy of the federal government. Now, in the last six months, we've had the repeal of the prohibition against open transgender service. Again, the services have not come to a grinding halt. There have been a few people who have come out they have been promoted, they have excelled in their in their jobs and in their opportunities because they are fully embracing who they are. And that's what we ask for in the military, and that's what we should be asking for across this country, is for people to give their all and contribute the most that they can to this society.
0: So do you think that's now so ingrained in the military culture here in the U.S. that it can withstand any political hyperbole of, uh, of this administration or any other administration that wants to turn back the clock.
1: Well, I don't think the, uh, this administration is going to try to turn back the clock. that. One of the things that's always been difficult uh, with regards to the military is saying, you know what, we're going to take away opportunities, we're going to restrict privileges, and we're going to segregate certain parts of our military um, population. Uh it's the you know like the third rail of Social security, you don't ever want to say you're going to restrict the ability of our service members or veterans to be able to do their jobs. And um, as, dif- as difficult as the actual you know when don't ask don't tell was put in place back uh, in the, the um, Clinton administration, that was a huge step backwards but it was for some a step forward because it acknowledged that there were LGBT people in the military. Uh, I don't see this going backwards. I believe that the current Secretary of Defense, Mr. Mattis, has indicated there's, he has no desire to try to roll that back because things are indeed working.
0: So as you've uh, lived out your career both in the private sector and the public sector, What have you found to be the biggest challenges as a transgender person and where have you seen the greatest progress, where where do you still feel things need to be improved?
1: Well, the challenge always is preconception. It is that when you tell someone or you toss out a label that someone is transgender or that someone is, is LGBT or any other label. A a person, an employer, a co-worker, um, pulls up an image, a basket of phrases and terms and images of what that means to them. The problem is that that may not be rooted in reality. It may be conjecture, it may be innuendo, and as a trans person, an open trans person, having to get past those initial preconceptions when I meet someone or when I go to work for someone and move to the point where I'm just doing my job, excelling at what my responsibilities are, Um, that has always been the opportunity that everyone really wants to have, is to be, you know, uh, viewed and appreciated and valued for who they are individually, not lumped together in some class or in some, uh, you know, bucket of terminology. Uh, I see that continuing to be the struggle going forward. Uh, we see it in whether, uh, you know, it's debates or even school district meetings where people go out and they use slander, and general terms, until they actually sit down and meet the person that they're talking about. And then they their, their opinions are lightened because it's a real person in front of them.
0: So one of the issues that we've found has come up a lot with the uh, companies that have been speaking at our Pride and Prejudice conference, where you're also speaking, um, is that you know they find it relatively easy now to adopt all the correct policies towards LGBT people um, in places like America and you know, much of continental Europe and Britain where you know, it's a pretty enlightened society, um, but they struggle to know how to be consistent when they operate in those parts of the world that are still quite hostile, take very traditional views to LGBT people and i wonder obviously the military is a very different um kettle of fish to most industries but you know you are op- you are operating in all parts of the world and in in some of those countries where um you know where attitudes are pretty hostile now how how did how did you find your experience um in you know being consistent everywhere well i can say that you
1: know i, I did not have the opportunity to travel you know, worldwide uh, in my assignments. I did get to travel to uh, visit and speak with a few of our allies, particularly in Europe. Um, and I never had an issue. I was always going to be who I am. And that's, you know, that is indeed my creed. And I'm not going to back away from that. Now, when you talk about the military in general, I think the military has a certain advantage over. Public corporations, being that our military tends to operate in their own conclave. Uh, you know, we set off forward. You know, we set up forward operating bases and installations around the world, and we, for the most part, operate as an isolated community uh, within those walls. And so, it's much easier for the United States military to behave as if they are the United States wherever they are around the world. Um, interacting with the society outside that wall then, of course, becomes uh, the issue that, that you talk about. And there are certain protocols, there are certain procedures, and there are certain expectations of our service members when they interact with, with the, uh, the national and the locals uh, of the community that they are there to protect. Uh, that, always going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, when you look into the private sector, you see some corporations, uh, multinational, that have done a very excellent job and have really defined what are the world's you know, best practices or how to conduct international operations and still respect their employees. Uh, and so I you know, encourage people to look at those examples. The military is very unique. And I think the examples there within don't necessarily apply to the private sector.
0: So lastly, uh, Amanda, what, what does the future hold for you? You've been in government for a while. You're now you know, free of that and ready to, to do your next thing. What, what, what are you looking
1: at? Well, right now I'm actually looking at the snow coming down up here in the, uh, the Colorado Rockies. I am on a uh, multi-week vacation As I decompress from public service, Uh, I've been skiing quite a bit. Uh, I expect to return uh, to the home uh, later this month and really start looking for what will be my appropriate place in society. Um, I've dedicated well over 35 years to the defense of this country, like you said, between the private and public sector, and I'd like to be able to continue that. So finding the appropriate opportunity for me, uh, you know, may take some time, but I hope that, that that opportunity presents itself soon so that I can get back to what I enjoy doing.
0: Well, Amanda, thank you very much for speaking with The Economist. This has been the Pride and Prejudice podcast. And joining us today was Amanda Simpson, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense. Until next time, I'm Matthew Bishop. Goodbye.